That's a terrible call. That is a terrible call. Welcome back to the Celtics Vlog Podcast. As usual, I'm Adam Taylor, your host. I'm joined by my boy, Tim Shields. And today we're joined by Ben Pfeiffer, a draft expert that works alongside Celtics Vlog's own Max Carlin on the Prep to Pros Podcast. Thank you for joining us today, Ben. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Adam. Thanks for having me on. Pleasure's all mine. Pleasure's all mine. Before we start, do you want to let everybody know where they can find you, where you're on social media or any work that you're currently working on that you'd like everybody to see? Uh, yeah, so like Adam said, I host um, Prep to Pro Pod with, with Max. Um, we're on all the podcast platforms. You can find us on Twitter. Um, have a lot of fun with that. You can follow me on Twitter at Ben underscore Pfeiffer underscore. That's where you see all my content. I'm uh, either writing analyses or making YouTube videos, or I have something special coming in the near future that I won't share, but I'm very excited for that. So yeah, uh, just keep updated with my Twitter for all my content. That something special is a reason to be following him anyway because everything <laughs> he's been doing lately has been like red hot. So definitely check out Ben's socials. So let's jump into it. Ben, you're a draft expert. This is We're going to be on this podcast for the next probably six weeks, five weeks. We're going to be having a different member of the media run from each different team to talk about picks that they like for their team. And in the end, we're going to add it all together and do like a huge people's like mock draft board. So with you, I'd like to talk about the Boston picks that are available and then we'll kind of go into the discussion you had over on Lockton Hawks recently. So to begin with, the three picks that Boston had, assuming that they're all going to be staying, uh, it seems very unlikely to me that Boston entered the draft of all three picks, but hey-ho, who would you feel like are some of the best options with each of those picks? Mm, okay, so I'm looking at Tankathon um, mock draft. So it's... They're about 17-ish range. Um, I think the guy who I'd want to be targeting there is um, FSU wing Devin Vassell is, is is the main guy who I would hope to fall to that area that's realistic that I think could really help the Celtics. I have Vassell in, in the top like six or seven clearly on my board. I think he's a fantastic prospect. He's a six-foot-seven wing, um, the best team defender in the draft. Actually, I think shares quite a, quite a few uh, defensive similarities with Jason Tatum. I mean, he's super disruptive at the nail. He's a playmaker off the ball, makes incredible reads, and he's not super super incredible on the ball. And he could add weight, but as a as a help defender, he's really special and would fit into Boston's uh, defense excellently. Offensively, there are definitely questions, but the upside with Vassal offensively is that is that he might just be a really good, difficult shot maker as, um, you know, battle shot really well on far twos this year, 43%. Um, he has questions about his lack of first step explosion, his decision-making, but overall, Basel should be um, a solid player um, on offense in the NBA at least, and he's a really strong bet to be 3 and D plus wing who really competes on both ends and can be super impactful and disruptive on defense, and hopefully, if he can at least shoot spot-ups, he should be a, po- a positive offensive player and a guy who really helps the Celtics um, in the long run as someone who can add value without um, taking up usage. Uh, what about, the only thing that catches me there is he's, he's another wing. How do you feel that would work for Boston, having Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Gordon Hayward, Romeo Langford and then adding another wing in do you feel like he'd be able to get the minutes he needs to continue developing 
I think that's certainly a concern, but at this point, I think if he's there, he'd be the clear best best player available, and that's kind of the strategy I think that you want to go with is just taking the best player. And, but then, then again, I think you can never have too much insurance on the wing, especially with Gordon Hayward's um, starting to age, and obviously he's had his injury concerns, so it, it can't hurt to have more depth on the wing, and obviously, if anything ever happens to Tatum or Brown, but I think the thing about Vassal is he can pretty seamlessly play next to those guys, and, and the Celtics can have the versatility to go ultra big on the wing if they want to, or they can downsize with Vassal. Probably not at the four. I don't think I'd play him at the four, but they can play him at the three and maybe throw Tatum or Brown at the four. So I think I think it offers them quite a bit of versatility. And maybe if there was a guard or a big that that really fell, like like someone like maybe Onyeka Kongu fell, I would, which he, he won't. He's being mocked in the top five-ish. But if a big they thought was really valuable fell or, or a guard, maybe they take him over. But, but I think... As a value, I think Vassal's a guy you really want there. Giving Tim another chance to jump in. Uh, what about <laughs> with the second pick for Boston? Because they have, so they've got their own, they've got Memphis and they've got Milwaukee. So looking at that Memphis pick, if that was still, if Boston was still in control of that pick and it conveys, which it looks like it will, who do you think would be a good pick with that pick? Oh, you're asking me? Yes, sir. Yes, sorry, sorry. Oh, my bad. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, my apologies. I don't know. Hmm. That's interesting. I think at that point, um, it isn't because you'd want a big man. A big man wouldn't be terrible there. So um, maybe you look at trying to get some like um, Alexi Pokes. Alexei Pokusevsky, um, uh, 18-year-old uh, Greek big man who's probably not a center, but just like an incredibly would be an upside gamble for them. And it makes sense. I mean, assuming they actually make the picks, um, it, it would definitely make sense for them to, to to make one of their picks at least more upside. And Pokusevsky, um, six foot eleven, legit six foot eleven, seven foot with with real guard skills. I mean, the idea that the idea is the is that he's this incredible um, potential shooter. I mean, he shoots off movement off the dribble at his size. It's really really rare. He shows flashes of of pick and roll ball handling. He's a really really smart passer. Makes some crazy anticipatory plays. Makes some plays out of the pick and roll. And then defensively, he is a steals and blocks monster. He has awesome instincts, and he really makes plays. But the issues with Pokashevsky um, become that, one, um, if the shooting isn't really great, he he might not work out because he's so skinny and he struggles to, to score in the half court. He plays in the Greeks, I believe, second division, um, which is not great competition, and he struggles in the half court. So that's an issue. And then defensively, he has a lot of technical and strength issues. But I mean, at that range in the draft, and especially for a team like Boston, that's already quite good and has a lot of pieces, they can maybe afford to swing on upside. Because if Pokashevsky hits, he could be a really, really rare NBA player with his skills at his size. So that's, that's someone I'd try to target in that range to see if I can get him to fall there. If you're looking at just in terms of the Celtics end up staying at their spot, um, one guy that has been mocked, I'm pointing at the same thing with Tankathon, um, in the mid-20s is a potential guy, is Vernon Carey Jr. from Duke. What do you think his potential is to potentially end up in green? And do you hmm. think what, what kind of ceiling and floor does he offer? I know that there have been some concerns there. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of Vernon Carey. I think there's a pretty good chance that he's – a passable rotation big like like in his defense um he, he was very productive as a freshman um effective score around the rim um did a lot was 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 solid defensively but it's difficult to really project him as a first round value because um just he's just not very special as a big man and i mean 
with how replaceable big men are in the it's just in the, in the NBA as a whole, it's 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 hard to justify spending a first round pick on a guy like Carey who doesn't project as anything much more. I mean, he he's a passable mover on defense, but he's really nothing special, and his instincts aren't incredible. His passing is a huge question mark as he showed some flashes of passes out of the post or skips from the weak corner or even even a little bit of handling, but his decision-making is really raw. He's very left-hand dominant, and the jumper is a big question mark. So as a guy who, especially if he lands in Boston, I don't think Boston is going to be giving him many post touches as that's just not a thing Boston does very much. Um, and just with, I, I, I mean, I mean, we've seen how successful Boston has been with guys like Tice and Cancer as their big men, who really didn't cost a lot relatively to acquire. So I think wasting, or I don't know, if, I don't want to say wasting, but spending a first round pick on a guy who at least I don't think has a chance to be very special or a true difference maker isn't something I would do. Um, but I could see, I, I could maybe see Ainge going for a Vernon Carey if they really feel like he's a difference maker type of big man for them. I guess it also depends on what kind of usage, as you said, are they going to put him in the paint or is that really more so they want him to work from the arc? You know, he was a 38% shooter from three on average, but he also wasn't making a lot of attempts. So is it something where you try and roll the dice in that, see if he develops that three point shot a little bit more at the professional level, or do you potentially try and package these picks together to move up and get someone who provides a little bit more oomph in terms of shooting? Yeah, I mean, I would personally, I mean, at least like generally, and especially in this draft, I would advise against drafting up just because I think just the way this class is, um, it's to, to, to begin with, it's a pretty weak class at the top and there's just not a lot of depth. But I think there's all, but I think as, I mean, as um, we're going to talk about um, on Prep to Pro soon, hint, hint, there's a lot of value to be found in this class, just given where some guys are mocked and what the stock of some guys seem to be. So I think as a smart team would be really could be really well, especially like the Celtics, maybe even packaging their picks to maybe get a, like a better first round next year in a really strong class, or we move back and get a similar, if not better player later in the class. So for a smart team like Boston, I think there's a lot of potential value to be had. I mean, we saw how well they did last year um, in the draft, acquiring picks and really hitting, really hitting big on on a lot of their picks. I mean, Carson Edwards was an incredible this year, but Grant Williams was a great pick. I have a good deal. I have a good amount of belief in Romeo Langford as well. So I think they could do a similar thing in this draft if if, if Ainge wants to. And then, kind of looking at a different scenario for the Celtics is one that you spoke about when you was a guest on the Locked On Hawks podcast recently. And that was where the Hawks were looking to trade down maybe for multiple picks in the draft. And you meant you mentioned Boston as a good option for them due to the amount of picks they have later in the first round. How would you see that trade happening if that was to happen? Do you feel like it would be all three picks for, for Atlanta's what projects to be a top five pick? Or do you feel like it would be two plus a player? And how would you see that working out? Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to pretend to have any intel or anything. I mean, I'm not exactly sure how it would work, but I mean, looking at what Atlanta last, did last year, trading up, I mean, they gave up a ton to move up. They gave up multiple top, multiple lottery picks um, to move up and get DeAndre Hunter last year. So I'm not sure with their, with just their, I mean, without a lottery pick, I'm not sure the Celtics would have enough ammo to to go get a top five pick just talking about um, their picks this year. I think maybe they'd have to give a player, like you said, I'm not exactly sure which player 
they trade or who they think is worth trading up. Uh, or maybe they could throw in a future pick or two. I mean, we know how Ainge, how much Ainge loves to stack his picks and assets. So maybe if maybe if the Celtics believe that there's someone really valuable or someone that they can't miss at the top of their draft at the top of the draft, um, then they'll package picks and go get him. I mean, we saw the Celtics did that with Jason Tatum back in 2017, and we've seen how that's worked out. So um, if I think it would take more than their 2020 picks to to really move up because I, I doubt the Hawks would take three which they shouldn't take three non-lottery picks to move out of the top five because there's just such a massive drop-off in talent once you leave that top five top ten range as as the difference in talent between a top ten pick and um like a mid-20s pick is really really massive under the scenario that they did manage to get a trade done uh, assuming a player went as well and boston moved into that atlanta range is there a player there that you feel that would fit into this Boston team that would be a surefire, a surefire hit? I mean, yeah, I think it depends how high they can get. Um, if they if they get to around like the the back end top ten, I think uh, USC freshman big um, Onyeka Kongu would be awesome for Boston. I mean, he, I mean, I guess he, he fills that need. You could say they don't have uh, anyone a projectable star big man and though I don't think though I don't think Onyeka has star upside I think he's probably the safest bet in this entire class to be like to be a good NBA player and that would be pretty big to get for Boston especially considering I mean I mean Onyeka six foot nine 245 uh freshman big super productive at USC just a really impressive mover on defense and can play in a variety of pick and roll coverage which really just helps the versatility of Boston's defense he can hedge he can drop he can switch he can really do it all and he's an awesome rim protector with great timing uh super super vertically strong defends the post offensively he's got awesome touch around the rim um really great finisher inside with both hands and though his shooting his shooting's not like a sure thing he shot uh okay on free throws and his jumper is smooth so i think there's a good chance he shoots spot ups at some point in the future and i mean he just looks like a potentially very dangerous role man with i mean already showing some handling coordination and being a super awesome vertical lob threat so i think he'd fit very well into what boston likes to do with with their high pick and rolls i think he and kemba walker would get along very well um yeah i I think he'd be um he'd be definitely someone i look in at that range obviously if they can go higher um i probably wouldn't if they can get one of lamella ball anthony edwards um killian hayes or tyrese maxi who is my top tier i wouldn't pass on them even though you're probably playing a value game with those last two because Hayes and Maxi um, are pretty lo- low in a lot of mocks and projections. Like Maxi generally falls around around like low lottery, and Hayes is is going into between like seven and twelve. So those guys would be huge additions, even if they're not expressly positions of need. I think they'd be too good to pass up on. And also, in terms of mock drafts, I've looked at there was one that was dropped um, mid-April as well as one that was dropped on May first. Uh, we're looking at Atlanta right now. Atlanta, the first mock draft I looked at from NBADraft.net, had Atlanta landing fourth overall in drafting Memphis big man James Wiseman. And then the CBS Sports dropped a mock draft on May 1st with looking at Wiseman dropping as far as 12th overall in Atlanta, taking um, Isaac Okoro from Auburn fifth overall. What, what are your thoughts on Okoro in terms of his fit with Atlanta? And as well as that, looking at Wiseman and potentially seeing a team trying to move up for him, such as Boston. Uh, yeah, I mean, 
I mean, Akoro, I'm definitely higher on than a lot of people. Well, it, it's funny because Akoro was this like draft Twitter gem darling um, at the beginning of the season. I think around like 30s or 40s in RSCI, a lot of us were very high on him coming in. And as as the season's gone on, a lot of uh, people on like draft Twitter sphere have been lowering on him, while the mainstream has has risen quite high, um, almost inexplicably so. Um, I still have a lot of belief in Isaac Akoro because. He's just a fantastic wing passer, incredibly strong, really great finisher and slasher. And then defensively, he's just super strong, and I believe in his team defensive instincts. But the jumper is a real question. And if he's not a viable spot-up shooter, there's there's a good chance that he's not a very good NBA player. Um, he could definitely be schemed um, offensively to, to make use of his creation and his passing ability. But um, if... If a team were to just like slot him in the corner and tell him to shoot, it's probably not going to go very well. And I think, uh, which is kind of curious about the Atlanta fit that you talked about, it, he seems to kind of be linked to Atlanta. And Travis Schlenk seems to love shooters, pass dribble shoot guys, and Okoro misses a key misses a key component of of that, which is the shooting. So, I think it's an interesting fit with Atlanta. I'm not really sure about. I, I'm not really sure about. Um, why they, they, I think there's better options, but I do like Okoro quite a bit. And I will say, I think um, in a Trey Young led offense, he just having that, having that simplified decisions with Trey Young spacing the floor vertically and making, m- making players close out on Okoro. Cause even if Okoro can't shoot and the scouting report says, don't close out, sometimes players will mess up and instinctively close out. Cause that's just part of basketball. Like, like you, you see an open shooter, you close out. It's, it's muscle memory for, for a lot of players and players will forget the scouting report. So in that instance, I think Okoro can be effective there. Uh, about Wiseman. Um, I'm not as high on Wiseman. As, as the mainstream, but I think 12-ish is like a fine range for him. I, I've kind of been moving up a little on Wiseman recently as, yes, he has a lot of issues. Um, he is very unskilled in offense. The, the jumper is a huge question, as is his general feel for the game, decision-making stuff. Um, very just overly ambitious offensively. And then defensively, he really struggles to move in the short area and the pick and roll very jumpy but 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 he is like to his credit he is enormous and he moves like a gazelle in the open floor and he should be a should be an effective rim protector and rim roller so that's a big man that even if he's not going to be a 16 game player as i say maybe won't maybe won't be able to contribute in the playoffs maybe won't be able to like crunch time i think he'll probably be a pretty good regular season player for the first three or three and a half quarters and then, I mean, he's going to get chances because he's that big. I mean, players, teams are going to put resources into developing him. And if he can develop his skills, he'll be a good player. But it's, it's just hard to project that um, serious skill development without any real evidence so far. Yeah, the one glaring thing being with his game is the fact that, you know, shortly into his career with Memphis, uh, that NCAA suspension came in. And after that point, he just decided to forego all eligibility and immediately start prepping for the draft. So... Because of that, a lot of what we have on him, who was Wiseman, was hyped up to be potentially the first overall pick. And now it's a lot of teams are just basing it off of three or four college games and a high school mixtape. So that being said, I can understand there being some concern and caution, especially as you said, about his jump shot and how that will develop at the higher level. That being said, with a team like Boston, with those picks that they've had and also the concerns that you've got with Robert Williams and his health, um, who had a great sophomore season, but it was 
hampered by injuries. You know, the times that you saw him, you saw flashes of what he could potentially be, but he missed so much time. And now with the season being suspended, you really start to question what his future is with the team. Do you potentially see the Celtics trying to package picks? If Wiseman happens to fall, you know, outside that top 10 or spot 11 or spot 12, anywhere in that range, does that potentially seem like a viable option to you? Or is it more so Celtics taking a risk for the sake of taking a risk? I think um, maybe if he falls a little further than that, like 13, 14, 15, I'm not sure the Celtics would trade up. I, I mean, they certainly might if they, if they see, if they believe in Wiseman's ability and they believe in his development. Um, I think, well, I, I guess it all depends on how much you can, how much you can, like, how much you have to give up to go get him. But I mean, just given Ainge's tendencies and his tendency to acquire assets, um, I, I wouldn't predict the trade up. Um, I, I don't know, of course, uh, nobody really does, but I wouldn't predict it unless maybe he really starts to slide. But, but then again, they'll probably pick um, in the like mid 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 late teens um if the memphis pick conveys which like like you've been saying it seems like it might at this point it seems like it's probably going to then then they'd maybe be in a range for him to slide if he slides but if he doesn't slide i could see him going very high i mean like there's rumblings about golden state really early and i'm really not sure where he's going to end up so if i were to guess i'd think he ends up pretty high but i mean i wouldn't say this helps me i'm just looking to change course again sorry i'd like to keep throwing you a few curveballs here i find it interesting <laughs> how you respond one of my biggest concerns with the whole draft process is how much that this pandemic has hindered it the lack of um march madness i'm assuming there's going to be very limited workouts before we enter the draft from there are you seeing players that would usually probably increase their draft stock during those workouts and during march madness that you feel are going to fall down to, you know, the mid to late first round? Oh, yeah, undoubtedly. I mean, we see players every year explode in, in March Madness and have their stocks boost, boosted. I mean, I mean, some for good reason, some not. I mean, we've seen players like, Mal- like Malachi Richardson and DJ Wilson have really impressive tournaments and then flame out in the NBA because they were overdrafted. Even a guy like DeAndre Hunter last year, or even Carson Edwards had a fantastic tournament and saw himself picked in the first round last year. So, yeah, there's certainly a lot of players who, if they, maybe if they, maybe who aren't being mocked as highly and if they had a great tournament, then they would have gone higher. I mean, I really don't know about... Like, like I, I, I have a hard time predicting who that player would be, but I mean, I mean, I look at a guy, maybe like Kyra Lewis of Alabama, who if they, if they made it in and they made a far run, Kyra would certainly be the one carrying that team or, or similar, similarly, maybe someone like Tyrell Terry, a Stanford freshman point guard, or maybe even, or maybe even some other guys who, who, who declined to early enter at all because they didn't get the opportunity to showcase themselves on that March Madness stage. And then for workouts, like you said, I think there's actually a chance that workout might help a lot of teams because there are certainly teams who weigh too heavily into workouts. I'm not sure Boston is one of those teams, but I, there are a lot of teams that weigh very heavily um, in terms of a workout setting. And I think there are some prospects who will certainly benefit um, who certainly are harmed by this lack of a workout setting. I mean, guys who may be underwhelmed this year who could prove that they can shoot or, you know, prove that they can dribble more than they did um, at their respective school or just prove they have some skill that they weren't able to put onto display at their actual 
um, during NCAA basketball. But there are also guys who maybe wouldn't have been as impressive in workouts, um, but guys that are actually uh, quite good um, in bas- quite good at basketball. And maybe since teams are more reliant on the tape at this point, uh, they'll look at those guys who m- maybe don't don't shoot as well in workouts or don't have the most incredible showing in a 1v1 or a 2v2 or a 3v3 setting. Uh, but their tape was really impressive and their numbers are really impressive. Uh, and a smart team will will go and get uh, a player like that. So, someone like, I'm not sure, I, I'm thinking someone like a Xavier Tillman, if he stays in the draft too. Um, might not shoot the might, might not shoot the lights out the shoots the lights out in workouts, but I mean he's just a very strong, incredible defender, excellent excellent player who whose tape is awesome. So he he might have a chance to go higher than than he might have if there was a workout situation. Do you feel like the way this is going should multiple teams hit later in the draft due to this? Do you feel like they're going to start changing the way they approach the draft process because of this by? relying more on the tape and less on the because it to me sometimes it does feel like that march madness and workouts hold so much weight even though they're such a small sample size to the rest of a player's collegiate career career and high school career do you feel like this is going to change the way some teams approach the draft if they manage to hit on somebody later in the in the first round or even early in the second yeah yeah, I think undoubtedly. I, I mean, I think like I mentioned and like a lot of people have talked about there is a chance that teams do abnormally well in this in this draft because of their forced reliance on tape and on evaluations and i'm sure they'll have maybe maybe some virtual interviews or virtual workouts with these players but likely with no combine no portsmouth uh no pbc there's there's just not as much of a a window to see these guys in person so maybe yeah I, i mean that's a good point if if teams who maybe more traditionally um are more like workout and and big game heavy, like 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 a team like Chicago, um, not to call it Chicago, who does have an all new an all new uh, front office at this point. Maybe if they see better results this year, they say, oh, you know, maybe we want to watch more film and prioritize uh, that film study instead of uh, workouts. Because I mean, workouts are obviously important. I think um, there's important stuff you can glean from workouts, like just general demeanor, how players respond. Obviously, talking to them and interviewing them and figuring out what their character is like is are things you can't find out from the tape. And you can obviously put them in situations that maybe they weren't in in yeah, put them in situations that that they weren't in in college and see what they can do um, that they weren't able to show. Um, while they were playing in college, but but yeah, I think this could definitely have an impact on the way teams got in the future. I'm not sure it. I'm not sure it would be like a market or like a notable or like statistically significant difference. But I think like for some teams, it might change their view on how scouting on how their scouting process goes. I think chemistry, as you said as well. I think these interviews and getting an idea about these guys' character, I think, will be much more of an impact than in previous times because. As you said, with these workouts, you know, unless they're running a private workout, you're not going to have as much of an idea about that player because that lack of March badness, because you don't have that combine, you don't have these guys, you know, doing run-on-one drills, you're, you might not get a lot of those opportunities. I feel like a lot of high-character guys have a really good chance of upping their draft stock because at the end of the day, it just matters how these guys work in the locker room. Do you think that is going to have a, hold some more water than it would in previous years? I mean, yeah, I, I mean, yeah, especially in this time of like 
much uncertainty and, and adversity, like see how guys are holding up and how they're responding to this pandemic situation and how they're, and how they're training. Yeah. I, I mean, it's hard. It's going to be hard to get as good of a gauge on their character as they would if they were in person, of course. I mean, that goes with just about every part of their game, not just the character. But yeah, I, I mean, I think high character guys are always going to be valuable in certain organizations and teams are always going to look for players who can fit their culture. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think guys with guys with high character and guys who are a really good culture fit are you know always going to be prioritized by some teams. So that pretty much wraps up everything I wanted to ask. We've touched on the possible trade to move up. We've touched on the ideal guys for each position. And then we've touched on a bit of James Wiseman and a bit of the pandemic and how that's going to change everything. The only question I've really got left is, and this is kind of moving away from just Celtics related at the moment. Is there a guy last year that you feel like if he was in this draft this year, and obviously please exclude guys like Zion and everybody, let's go from mid late first that you feel if he was in a, in this draft class, he would have been one of the dumb names coming out this year. That's an interesting question. I mean, this draft certainly is worse and I mean, excluding the top guys, um, I'm trying to think. I mean, maybe a guy like Brandon Clark um, would have stood out more. I mean, we saw how incredible he was um, this year. I mean, probably the third best rookie this year behind Zion and Jaw. I mean, he was just incredible this year for Memphis. Maybe um, in this weaker draft class, people would have been more receptive to the idea of an older player who was just super incredibly dominant in college and showed a lot of translatable skills and tools as well. People might have been more open or receptive to him as as a higher draft pick. Um, and then I also look at a guy like maybe Kevin Porter Jr., who fell all the way to 30, um, played for Cleveland, and was pretty successful this year as a rookie. Um, I know he had some character concerns, and there were issues with injuries and suspension. So maybe a team um, would have been more willing to take a risk on him um earlier in this class if they're just less enamored by some of the other talent but yeah but i think a lot of the guys who went lower even like like lower in the lottery if lower in the first round would have been higher picks like like i think this year like the pistons uh seku Dumbuya, i think he would have been a higher pick this year just that international wing intrigue would have piqued more interest than the 15th pick in the draft um in this in this weaker class but i mean yeah i, I think uh, those are probably the guys who I'd peg to maybe go higher. But but again, it's hard to know how teams really think. Oh, for sure. I just wanted to throw a curveball, and I was really kind of interested in your answer, to be quite honest. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. Uh, right, Ben, thank you for coming on. Thank you, everyone, for listening. If you don't already, make sure you follow Ben over at Twitter. Are you on Instagram, Ben? Um, Yes, but like... I don't post like basketball content. so. Okay, so only on Twitter or over at <laughs> Preps to Pros Podcast. Ben, do you want to drop your Twitter handle once more for everybody? Yeah, uh, it's um, Ben underscore Pfeiffer. That's P-F-E-I-F-E-R. Underscore is my Twitter where you can find all of my content. Ben, we've appreciated having you on. It's been good. I've got a few names now I want to kind of dive into a little bit more, so you may get some DMs off me now. Um, <laughs> everybody will be back again on Wednesday it's Marvel week over at SB Nation so we're going to be doing a Marvel themed episode before we jump back to draft related content again on Friday where we'll be speaking to Brendan who's also a co-host on here about the Kings and their draft yeah their draft prospects there we go that's the word I wanted and we'll see you then say bye to you bye bye